Welcome to On the Road to No Place Left. This is Feeney, and I'm driving as we learn to share the gospel, make disciples, and reproduce leaders and churches until there is no place left where the name of Jesus hasn't been heard. This is season four, where we're tackling all questions related to simple churches that can start among lost people for zero dollars. Today we're learning from Bob and Gio about a work of God in Ecuador. I'll save the details for the interview, but it definitely hits the target of seeing churches form and then reproduce out of lostness. I'm not going to apologize for the clunky nature of this interview. You'll hear that Bob is our translator, porque hablo un poco de español. The reason I won't apologize, I guess I should apologize for my pronunciation, but the reason I won't apologize for this interview is that I would love for someone to launch a movements-focused podcast in Spanish. If that's you or someone you know, I'd love to help that happen. Listen after the interview for how to get in touch. All right, let's jump into Gio's story. We are in English. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to pray in English. Father, thank you so much for today. Uh, we want to honor you and glorify you in all that we do. Lord, you receive the glory and the honor for anything good that's come out of the work in Latin America and around the world, because it's you and your Holy Spirit that make it possible. And we have the privilege of coming along for the ride. Father, help us to say the words you want to say. Help us to uh, empower this with your Holy Spirit so it will touch the hearts of people listening. For those that aren't involved, that they could get involved in being and making disciples. And it might touch the heart of a pastor who's sitting there trying to figure out what to do when he's stuck in the same place he's been for years. So we thank you and we give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Yeah, thank you. I'm very excited to hear this story. Bob and Gio, thanks for joining. I would love, maybe Bob, if you just want to set the stage as you explained to me, just kind of the, the work that we saw, that okay. you guys saw God do. Uh, just kind of set the stage, and then we'll start to ask Gio some questions about that. I had the privilege of meeting Giovanni about three years ago. Uh, the funny part, and I'm sure he'll tell the story, is he came to a training we were doing at a church in the same city he lives in, lived in. And in the middle of the training, he walked out. But I'll let him explain what happened there. But we reconnected. And he came to a, a training, and when he saw that everything was based in the Bible and that it was uh, following a, a command that Jesus gave us, he went back and put it into practice in a way that I had not seen uh, any other person do. His focus was so strong, for example, that if one of his disciples was coming to a Sunday morning service uh, he would meet him at the door instead of saying good morning. He'd say, "You got two minutes to share the gospel with me." And so this was a person whose focus, whose uh, the way he modeled it for other people, the way he raised up leaders, caught my attention. We began meeting every week since then, and he's become my best friend. Uh, he's led a great network to fourth generation, and he's now working in South Chile. And so uh, it's been my privilege to know him and watch how God has used him powerfully in, in Ecuador and is now using him in Chile. I saw him move from a church of 35 people 
to a home church network that includes over 420 people and is still growing in the middle of the pandemic. And for me, that's impressive. Great. Great. Well, I'm excited to hear that story. And that's particularly the story we're going to focus on today is that existing church. Um, so, Gio, can you just tell us the story of, of what God did uh, with your church there? Gio, puede contarnos la historia de cómo Dios trabajó para lograr lo que tenemos ahora desde un grupo de 35 hasta ahora? Bueno, lo primero que quiero decir es que voy a contar el testimonio. So, the first thing he wants to say is he's going to give you the testimony. Y no quiero sonar exagerado en las palabras que voy a decir. And he doesn't want to be exaggerating anything he says. Toda la gloria es de Dios. Yo no hice nada. All the glory is for God. I didn't do anything. Me gusta la pregunta porque dice cómo Dios trabajó para lograr esto. He likes the question because it was how did God work to do this? Cuando Dios trabaja en algo lo hace perfecto. When God does the work, he does it perfectly. Dios pondrá a las personas necesarias en tu vida para desarrollar mejor tu ministerio. And God puts the right people in your life to grow your ministry. Por eso quiero hablar de Roberto y María Burton cuando nos conocimos. And he's saying it started when he first knew my wife Mary and I. La verdad es que como estaba muy ocupado, no tenía tiempo para escuchar a otros gringos más Hablando de nuevas técnicas y de evangelismo y discipulado. He was so busy as a pastor, he really didn't have time to listen to another gringo talking about how to evangelize and how to do God's work. Pero un amigo mío insistió a que le diera la oportunidad de escuchar a estos gringos y accedí. So he left that first training, but a friend of his uh, insisted that he come to another training just to hear and to look at what we were doing. Lo primero que me impactó fue que los gringos no tenían nuevo material ni una nueva técnica de evangelismo. The thing that caught his attention is we didn't have a new plan, a new book, or some new technique of evangelism. Los gringos dijeron, todo está en la Biblia. Lo único que necesitamos es la Biblia. We just said everything you need is in the Bible. The only thing you're going to need for this training is your Bible. Tenemos que regresar a la Biblia, tenemos que ser obedientes a la comisión, tenemos que ser y hacer discípulos. So he realized that we had to go back to the Bible, had to look at the commission that Jesus gave us in Matthew 28, and we had to go put it into practice to be disciples who make disciples. Y esa es la realidad. Esta fue la manera en cómo cambió la historia de mi vida y ministerio. And this was what happened that changed entirely the story of his life and ministry. So, Gio, what was your role? What did God have you do on this journey? Entonces, Gio, ¿cuál fue tu papel uh, en ese viaje? ¿Qué causa Dios en su vida? Okay, Roberto y María dicen un texto de Lucas 10.2, muy conocido para mí, pero en ese momento fue diferente porque... Hubo como un despertar en mi mente. You heard us talking about Luke, Luke 10 and verses 1 through 3, but, and he'd read it many times, but it was like suddenly it exploded in his mind. Todos los pastores, todos los obreros los conocemos, pero la diferencia estuvo en que 
aunque sabemos, no lo ponemos en práctica. So all the pastors and leaders know this passage, but even though they know it, they're not putting it into practice. Mi papel fue creer que la cosecha es abundante en el lugar donde estaba. And just to put in something here, the scripture was when Jesus says, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. And so pray to the Lord of the harvest for more workers. So the first thing he had to do is get it in his head that there was a great harvest all around him. Tenía que orar por muchos nuevos obreros para ir a la cosecha. And then he started praying for many new workers to go to the harvest or to come from the harvest. Número tres, tenía que ir a la cosecha, tenía que ir a los campos, tenía que ir a ser discípulos. And so the third thing in that scripture was you have to go. You have to go out of the building, out to where the people are, into the harvest to make disciples. La pregunta dice, ¿cuál fue tu papel? Mi papel fue creer que la cosecha es abundante, orar e ir. Muchos pastores no creen eso, no lo ponen en práctica. So his, his work in this at the beginning was to believe what Jesus said about the harvest, to pray for more workers, to train workers and to go. And he said, and to put it all into practice instead of just read the verse. And he said, many people aren't doing that. And for that reason, there's no change for them. But what did you have to learn? And, and particularly, what did you have to change about your previous way of ministry? Entonces, Gio, cuando su iglesia estaba 25 personas, ¿qué era necesario aprender o cambiar en su ministerio para poner en práctica? Ser y ser discípulos. Comenzando por un cambio en el ministerio, no comienza por los hermanos, comienza por el líder. The, the change in the ministry doesn't start with the people in the church, it starts with the leader. Orando mucho, preguntándole a Dios, ¿qué debo de cambiar? Praying and asking God, what do I need to change? What do I need to do differently? ¿Y dónde está toda esa información? Esa información está en la Biblia. And where is all the answers? It's in the Bible. That's where... The plan of God is. Segunda Timoteo 2.2. He's talking about 2 Timothy 2.2, which says, And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Eso, el Señor habla mi vida, y te, tuve que aprender a ser generaciones de discípulos. This is what God spoke to his heart, and he had to learn to make generations of disciples. Tenía que mentorear, cuidar. Cada semana. And he had to, he learned to coach them and mentor them every single week to be with his disciples on a weekly basis. Entregar herramientas bíblicas eh, sencillas y que se pudieran reproducir. Giving them simple tools from the Bible that were Bible-based, uh, important that they were simple, and it was something that was reproducing, that they could reproduce in others. Pablo está hablando de cuatro generaciones de Cuidado que debe tener un líder. In these verses, he says how Paul is talking to four generations of people that the leader needs to take care of or needs to watch over. No le puedes decir a tu hijo, sube en la bicicleta y anda. You can't just say to your child, hey, there's a bicycle, get on it and go. Tiene que tu hijo verte cómo anda en la bicicleta, después ayudarle a cómo andar en la bicicleta, supervisar si aprendió y después dejarlo solo andar. 
first you your child needs to see you ride the bicycle then you need to help them understand how to ride the bicycle and supervise that and then you can finally say to them okay go ahead cuidar que ellos hagan el proceso correcto de tres tercios cada semana so and he's talking about in the with his disciples, making sure that they were following the process, using the three-thirds process every week with their people. Un verdadero mentoreo como lo hizo Jesús, como lo hizo Pablo. So it's a true mentoring of your people like Jesus did with his people, like Paul did with his people. No solo predicar cada semana. Eso está bien. No es malo. Pero tenemos que cambiar esa mentalidad. It isn't just preaching every Sunday. Even though that's not a bad thing, it's just that you have to change your mentality when you think about making disciples. Just preaching to people on Sunday is not going to do it. That's good. Well, can you tell us what these new churches look like? Just if you could describe for us what they, what these new house churches from lost people look like. How do they function? I would just love a, a description of them. Eh, con la pregunta anterior, tengo un, un último pensamiento. There's one more thought on the last question. He's going to come back to this one. Una de las cosas que tuvo que cambiar también en mi ministerio fue de romper murallas, barreras de tradiciones religiosas. One of the biggest challenges at first in the change in his ministry was breaking religious traditions, breaking the barriers caused by religious traditions. ¿Cuál era la pregunta? Entonces, so what he's talking about is a paradigm shift from the traditional to the model of Jesus and the necessity to break down the traditional barriers which impede a movement. Entonces, ¿cómo funcionan los nuevos iglesias fundado con no creyentes? Uno de sus discípulos se fue y compartiendo su evangelio. ¿Y cómo están las nuevas iglesias? Bueno. Como dije, rompiendo la barrera tradicional, la nueva forma de hacer iglesia es conservar la palabra ADN, nuevo ADN. So one of the keys in the new churches is a new uh, um, English, a new DNA, changing the DNA of the concept of what a church is. Estas nuevas iglesias son eh, reproductoras de nuevas iglesias. Cada discípulo es un hacedor de nuevo discípulo. Estas iglesias se preparan cada semana. Nos reunimos cada semana porque la meta de ellos es ser y hacer discípulo y reproducir nuevas iglesias. So the new DNA in these iglesias is when they meet every week, the church is focused on reproducing new churches. The disciples are focused on reproducing new disciples. And it's the DNA that is pushed through the new network of house churches. Tenemos claro cuáles son los cuatro campos y nos enfocamos mucho en el motor de eso de reproducir de estamos muy cuidadosos en poder trabajar, reunir, practicar cada semana eh, como meta de compartir el evangelio y hacer nuevos discípulos. Uh, everybody in, in the network understands completely the four fields concept and that fields one and two are the motor of a movement, which is getting into the harvest, preparing th through prayer, preparing your heart, preparing the hearts of the people, uh, going out, sharing your, test your testimony and the gospel 
and they understand that that's the motor of a movement and it needs to happen consistently. So they concentrate a lot on setting their goals to put into practice what they learn and to go out and share the gospel. So from the beginning, as someone starts a new church with non-believers, they're putting that DNA in from the very beginning. It's built into their process. Yo puede explicar, por, por ejemplo, cuando uno de sus discípulos está fuera y él puede ganar a una persona, ¿cuál es su manera de empezar una iglesia nueva? ¿Puedes hablar de las historias o algo? Look, what, I, what I asked him, Peter, was describe what happens when one of your disciples goes out and wins somebody in the street. What happens next? ¿Compartir, una historia de una de, compartir la historia de una iglesia? No, más, más por ejemplo. Si, por ejemplo, José Enrique está afuera, puede ganar a un hombre que se llama Manuel. ¿Cuál es la siguiente etapa? Él ve preguntar a Manuel si es posible ir a su casa por las historias. Algo como así, solo como formar inicialmente un casa de paz. Roberto dijo algo clave. Eh, nosotros siempre estamos enfocados en personas de paz. Dios siempre nos va a dar y vamos a buscar una persona de paz. Que esté dispuesta a tener y invitarnos a su casa y tener una casa de paz. Eso es número uno fundamental en, en compartir en, con nuevos creyentes. Okay, so what he's saying is that their focus when they go out is looking for a person to peace, someone who receives them, receives the good news, and opens their network or their relations to this person for sharing the gospel. Uh, they use very powerfully the stories of hope to help that person win their neighbors and friends who are close to them but far from God. And that's how they start the new churches. The leader of that church meets with, still meets with Giovanni every week, and then he's training his new disciples. Una vez que esta persona llega a, don, a la casa, lo primero que enseñamos es hacer el oikos. Esta persona tiene amigos cercanos y que puede invitar a su casa. Hacemos una, un mapa de generación de oikos para invitar a nuevas personas. So the first thing they do that's key is they help that person make a list of all their sphere of influence, their oikos, as we use that term, and uh, help them think about all the people that are close to them and far from God that they can reach. From the very beginning, that's the heart they put in these people. Y comienza un proceso de mentoreo constante y cuidado de poder entrenar juntos y enseñarles cómo comienza el proceso de esa nueva iglesia en casa. And that starts the process of this person coaching their new people through the entire process of becoming disciples who make disciples who reproduce. I would love to hear a story of from one of those churches, a story of God working. Yo puedo compartir la historia de una de esas iglesias que hizo Jesús, o Dios, con esa iglesia. Comenzamos a trabajar en iglesias en casa y en primer lugar... Llegamos a tener 27 iglesias en casa y la idea de tener una meta de que en cada casa hubiesen 10 personas. So their first goal was 27 house churches looking for um, an average of 10 persons in each of these houses. Estábamos felices que en cada casa hubieran 10 personas, pero en la historia de esta casa habían 40 personas. And they were happy to have that because they hit their goal. But there was one church that went right to 40 people. La historia de esta casa dice que 40 fueron bautizados. 
And these same 40 people in that made the decision to be baptized. La historia de esta casa dice que 20 nuevos discípulos salieron de esa casa. From that group, 20 of those went out and started their own houses of peace by winning lost people. Y 10 abrieron nuevas iglesias en casa de ese lugar. And of that 20, 10 were able to open house churches that still exist today. Es, un, es una historia maravillosa porque Dios tiene el control, ya tú no tienes el control. And he loves this story because it's obvious that God was in control and that we don't have control. Si haces un trabajo correcto de discipulado, cuidado en mentoreo de tu discípulo, se va a desarrollar algo increíble como la historia de esta iglesia en casa. If we keep doing the simple things we know to do that are in the Bible and are faithful to keep doing it, we'll watch as God does things like he did with this church and see those kind of results. Mi Timoteo, el líder de esa casa, ahora es el encargado de todo el movimiento de Ecuador, ya que yo ya no estoy en Ecuador, estoy en el sur de Chile. <laughs> And now the person that started that house church is in charge of the entire network in Ecuador because God has led Giovanni to go to South Chile and start again from zero. I'd like to, let me share one piece of the story we haven't heard yet. <clears throat> when Gio inherited the church, when he started, there was 35 people meeting in a building that was built for 200 people. And he was constantly praying, God, we got to fill this building. Lord, where are the people? And he was doing the things that traditional churches do, inviting people to come, telling the people to invite people to come. And it wasn't changing anything. But when they first went out and trained, when he first began to train people to go out and share the gospel, the first eight couples led 75 people to the Lord in just three months. And it's grown now in that they're they're on both end. They have a Sunday morning service of about 150 people now, but they have another 250 people meeting in house churches throughout the area that's still growing in the middle of the pandemic. And what they've done is just be faithful to follow the process. And they've made some great adaptions during during this time, some lessons learned. And what, what, what I'm going to ask him is what happened when uh, in their network when they had several churches that were small, but Chuck Wood mentioned the need for a critical mass in the network in each church to see them last over time. Jill, recuerda el tiempo en que estuvimos con Chuck Wood y él mencionó la necesidad de un núcleo suficiente en cada iglesia. Yeah. En aquella época ustedes han tenido, no sé, treinta y pico iglesias, pero algunas pequeñas. ¿Qué pasó? Yeah. ¿Cuál era su manera de, de cambiar la situación? Era oración? Oh, ok, al, al inicio nosotros aprendimos a evangelizar muy bien, muy bien. Y 1,200 personas evangelizadas. So they started out after you trained people in the basics of how to share their testimony and, and go out. They began an, a, a very focused work of going out every week out into the different barrios and areas, and they shared the gospel with over 1,200 people. 750 personas aceptan al Señor. And 750 people prayed to repent, believe, and follow Jesus. 
nuestras reuniones los días domingos ya no eran de 35 personas, sino de 450. And suddenly on Sunday morning they went from 35 people to over 400 people. 35 o más iglesias en casa de 10 personas en cada iglesia. And they had 35 house churches out there. Many have had 10 people in each. No estábamos haciendo bien una cosa. But there was a problem. They were good at evangelism, but they forgot something. La clave estaba en tres tercios, en un cuidado de discipulado correcto. The problem was they weren't discipling the right way. They weren't meeting weekly with these people, and they weren't following a three-thirds process of discipleship. El proceso de cuidado de tres tercios y mentoreo del líder tiene que ser cada semana. En realidad, el líder tiene que so, trabajar. So the leader really has to work. He's got to mentor his people every week, and he's got to make sure people are following the three-thirds process if they want to see multiplication. No, no solo que hagan la tarea bien. El mentoreo es más grande. Es saber cómo está él con Dios, cómo está su familia. De ahí va a depender el éxito si queremos tener. El cuidado pastoral debe de ser correcto. What he's saying is that it's mentoring a movement or, or, or coaching your people is not just seeing how they're doing with the job. It's how are they personally? How's their time with God? How's their time with their family? What's happening in their lives? It's getting to know them and pastoring them in a good way uh, through this process. I'm going to ask him a question that what happened to the 400 people when they weren't discipling? Gio, ¿qué pasó con los cuatro Cientos en la iglesia sin discipulado. ¿Qué pasa con los números? Oh, hay, hay un dicho en Ecuador, no sé si se entienda, Roberto. Entraban por la puerta grande y salían por la cocina. Said so there's a saying in Ecuador. They come in the big front door and they leave through the kitchen. Which means they started losing people because they weren't discipling people. Tenía que haber un discipulado correcto, un cuidado pastoral correcto de cada uno de los líderes para mantener a esas personas siendo discípulos que hagan discípulos. So they didn't have the mentor they didn't have the mentoring in place with their leaders to make sure they were discipling people to hang on to them and that number dropped from 400 to 150 in the Sunday service. Con Jack Sandel tuvimos un hierro con hierro Roberto y vimos los eh, los dificultades donde teníamos que concentrarnos más y por eso es fundamental hierro con hierro cambiamos el retomamos el proceso correctamente in following an iron on iron with us and Jeff Sundell and uh, another time with Chuck Wood uh, they began to put into practice the things they needed to do to see discipleship and not just evangelism y cuál fue el resultado I'm asking him what was the result Líderes maduros que a pesar de la pandemia no hay ninguna variante. Muchas iglesias, templos, se fueron los miembros, no pudieron seguir trabajando, terminaron sus iglesias en casa. La gloria es de Dios, dije al principio. Todas estas iglesias han permanecido siendo fuertes con el buen cuidado que hemos tenido en el proceso. So when they started to focus on discipleship, the leaders were more mature and they went out and 
now have a network of over 250 more people meeting in house churches. And the great thing is because they focused on, on the process and focused on building leaders during the, the COVID virus, um, these churches haven't disappeared like what's happened for many people in the traditional church world. Um, the churches are strong. They're still growing. The people are still evangelizing and reaching others. And so their network is now more than 400 people, but it's solid because they're discipling people who are reproducing. Amen. How do these churches now network together? What, is that, what does that look like? Gio, como se uh, unieron esas iglesias? ¿Cuál es la manera en, en que esas independientes iglesias en casas pueden unirse? Nos reunimos cada semana con todos los líderes de cada iglesia en casa. Es fundamental. So every, every week they meet with the leaders of these house churches. Every single week. That's a fundamental principle. Y estos líderes a su vez con los nuevas iglesias en casa y sus nuevos líderes. O sea, generación 1 se reúne con el, su líder. Generación 2 se reúne con su líder. Generación 3 se reúne con su líder. Generación 4 se reúne con su líder. Todos sabemos que somos una iglesia, pero con diferentes generaciones. He meets every week, or he met every week before he turned the network over, with the leaders of the first generation of churches, his disciples who went out and started theirs. Those people meet with the leaders of the second generation, the churches that were started by their disciples. Their third generation meets with their leader from the second generation and on down the line in the generations. So even though they don't all meet together, they have this relationship of leaders and the information can flow up through that through that network of leaders as they meet every week with their with their leaders. Amen. That's great. I can't wait to hear the answer to this. What would you tell a pastor that was just like you before this started? What would you tell a pastor before he walked into a training like you did? Gio, ¿qué, qué vas a decir a un pastor, un líder que está en la misma situación en que estaba hace años antes de ser, ser discípulos, que está hasta estancado, es la palabra, Gio. Ya. Yeah. Que está en la misma situación de ti anteriormente. Quiero ser muy cuidadoso al dar este consejo. He wants to be very careful to give this counsel. Conté, he contado mi testimonio y la gloria es para Dios. He's given us his testimony and the glory is for God. La primera pregunta decía, ¿cómo Dios te va a guiar? ¿Cómo Dios te guió en el proceso de esta historia eh, para mí? The first question was the most important. How did God guide the process in his life that they experienced? Mi consejo número uno es que ores y te deje guiar por Dios. So his first thing is pray and be guided by God. Número dos, seguir orando y regresar a la Biblia. Number two, keep praying and go back to the Bible. Estoy seguro que tú como yo no deseas tener solo 35 personas en tu iglesia. He's sure that their dream or their desire is not to have only 35 people in a church. Tú deseas tener un ministerio grande y fuerte para la gloria de Dios. He's confident that their desire is to have a, a, a big ministry that would glorify God. No te quedes allí. Pide ayuda. Don't stay where you are. Get help. 
busca a personas que te puedan ayudar con herramientas bíblicas, sencillas y reproducibles. Look for people that can give you and help you get the same simple biblical reproducing tools that he was able to receive. Si ese es el deseo de tu corazón, Dios pondrá a las personas correctas. If this is the desire of your heart, God will get you to the right people. So what he's encouraging most of all is for them to go back reading the Bible, to see what's there, to pray, to seek God, and to reach out and find someone who can train them in the same simple tools that are reproducing not only here in Ecuador, but in Chile, in Peru, Bolivia, Colombia, all over the world right now. Volver a la Biblia no es hacer lo que dice la Biblia. Nosotros los pastores hablamos mucho de Biblia, pero no hacemos lo que dice la Biblia. So he's saying when he when he says go back to the Bible to the Bible, he's saying not just read it, not just know about it, not just teach it, but do it. Do what it says to do. Do what Jesus told us to do. Yo tengo serios problemas con líderes de iglesias porque ellos dicen ser líderes, pero no lideran a nadie. Dicen ser discípulos, pero no discipulan a nadie. No hay generaciones de discípulos detrás de ellos. Solo están ellos. Cuando se dice eso a un líder, se enoja mucho. He, he finds it hard when he sees pastors who say there's lead, they're leader, leading, but no one is following, or say that they're talk about making disciples, but they have no disciples. And when he says to them that it's our job to make disciples, sometimes it can upset them. Hablamos mucho de la Gran Comisión, y la Gran Comisión dice, id, y no vamos. We talk a lot about the Great Commission. We share it in churches and memorize it. But that says go, and most of the time we don't go. La Gran Comisión dice, hagan discípulos, y no tenemos discípulos. It tells us to make disciples, and sometimes we don't have any disciples. La Gran Comisión dice, bauticen, y no bautizamos a nadie. It tells us to baptize, and sometimes we're not baptizing anyone. Este evangelio será predicado, es el corazón de Dios, en todo el mundo. But God's heart is that this good news goes to all the world. Y no predicamos. And just preaching isn't going to get it there. Entonces, ese es mi mensaje para los pastores. Regresemos a la Biblia, obedezcamos la Biblia. So his message to them would be return to the Bible and obey it, what it says. Amen. So... I wanted to ask you, Bob, what what is your role in this? Can you give us a picture of the of the gringo's role and, and how you just felt <laughs> in any way where you felt like God was really directing and, and using you in this? I think more than anything in, in our last 11 years in, in Latin America, I can say that I, I am in awe of God. God has brought people into our lives in miraculous ways who are faithful, available, <laughs> teachable, uh, who are out there reproducing. And when we look back at those connections, like the connection with Giovanni, it's something God did. It's not something we went out and caused to happen. Uh, we were out there being faithful to do what we needed to do, but God opened doors and he opens connections. And our job is to, to catalyze and to uh, look for that national person who can become a leader in what's going on. And, and for example, in the case of Giovanni, he began to do the majority of the trainings, not just Giovanni, 
but his second and third generation leaders began to take over the trainings. And, and we just sat back and watched. And when that happened, the nationals caught the fire. They said, wait a minute, we can do this. Look what Giovanni is accomplishing in Recreo. Look what's happening. There's fourth generation churches formed by out of non-believers. And when that happens and they take ownership themselves, that's when things really change. And so we feel just privileged to be part of watching what God's doing in, in Latin America and blessed by people like Giovanni and his family. We're family. We're friends. He's He's far surpassed me as a as a leader uh, in many ways, but he's my best friend, and that's a God thing. Yeah. So this is for both of you. Would is there anything else on your on your heart to share? Gio, hay algo más en su corazón de cualquier cosa que quiere que Dios está poniendo en su corazón para compartir. Los líderes de las iglesias siempre pronunciamos la palabra avivamiento. The church leaders of these home churches are always talking about revival. Todo, todos deseamos un avivamiento, un despertar, algo nuevo. Simply talking about having something new, an, an awakening, something great. Estoy seguro que habrá un avivamiento en el lugar que estés cuando seas obediente al mandato de la Biblia. He's confident that we'll see that wherever we're working when we go back to obeying what it says in the Bible. Cuando comiences a ser responsable de hacer discípulos y hagan discípulos como segunda Timoteo 2:2 y tener generaciones, eso va a seguir. Va a haber un avivamiento. So, and when we go back to doing what it said to make disciples who make disciples and we start seeing generational growth, we'll see that revival that we're always talking about. Pero va a ser necesario que salgas de tu sitio de confort. And the only way we're going to see that is when we get out of a, our comfortable seat. Eso quiero decir. I, I think a, a key that I, comes to mind as we're thinking all this, that great saying that if you keep on doing the same thing you've been doing, you're going to keep on getting the same results you've been getting. And so my heart has always been that people would go back to looking at the Bible, not what they were necessarily taught or what was modeled to them, but to go back and what Jesus said to do, what Jesus modeled in Luke 8, 9, and 10, what Paul did during his three voyages in Acts 13 through 20. When we start following Jesus' model, we start seeing Jesus' results. Amen. En verdad deseo de todo corazón que, porque es un testimonio, nosotros solo somos herramienta en las manos de Dios. Es un testimonio de que si tú pones, te pones a hacer la obra encomendada por Dios, eh, tu ministerio va a ser diferente. Nosotros no hicimos nada. Dios, es, la gloria es para Él. Solo queremos animar para que personas entiendan que Dios quiere algo que hagas diferente, pero va a depender solo de ti que lo hagas. Yeah, what he's saying is again that he doesn't want to pe people to think he's done anything. It's that we're just tools in the hands of God and that God has done this. But what he's confident in is that when we put into practice what God has told us to do, his confidence is that we will see results and it will change our ministry. But it requires that change. It requires making that decision. If you'd like to connect with Gio, 
please check out the show notes at ontheroad.link. That's ontheroad.link. For other comments or questions, head to that same URL, or you can call or text me, 321-209-3899. As I said in the intro, I would love to help someone launch a movements-focused podcast in Spanish. So if you, or a friend, or a friend of a friend want to do that, please reach out. This is Feeney. Thanks for listening. The On the Road podcast is to encourage you to share the gospel, make disciples, and reproduce leaders and churches till there is no place left, ningún lugar sin alcanzar, where the name of Jesus hasn't been heard.